need the kind of love that can outlast the night. I need the kind of love that is willing to fight. But when the going gets tough and my strength's not enough, I see you showing up like never before. This battle for my heart, you took on from the start. You are the peace when my mind's at war. You will never stop fighting for me when I can't fight for myself. Every word is a promise you keep. Cause you love me like nobody else. You stand up for me darkest night when my faith is weak you're still by my side you will never stop fighting for me you will never stop fighting in the perfect timing you make all things right you paint a silver lining in this heart of strength's not enough I see you showing up like never before this battle for my heart you took on from the start you are the peace when my mind's at war you will never stop fighting for me when I can't fight for myself every word is a promise you keep Bibles this morning turn to the book of Colossians chapter 3. 
The book of Colossians chapter 3 as we continue our series on agreements. And um, this morning uh, we're going to do another series and probably one more uh, sermon in this series, probably one more sermon on the series on activating agreements. The idea here is that Satan's trying to lie to you and he's trying to get you to buy into a lie, to speak and live and act like his lies are true. God offers you truth. And uh, we have to choose to say, are we going to live, act, speak like, behave like, have attitudes like God's word is really true. And so it really is a battle, not just to believe it in our heads, but to speak and live and have the attitudes like God's word is true. We've been talking about a lot of different things. And so uh, this morning, if you look in Colossians chapter 3, verses 23 and 24, we're going to talk about heart agreements. Everybody say heart agreements. Heart agreements, right. Last week was deadly agreements, and so this morning it's heart agreements. Look, if you will, Colossians chapter 3, verse 23, the Bible says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Don't you love to see people give it their all? Whether it's an entertainer, whether it's an athlete, whether it's a, a music artist, something like that. Uh, but when somebody's giving a half-hearted effort, it's just no fun, is it? You love to see people when they really, really give their everything to somebody and, or to something. I came across some dads. Sometimes dads get a bad rap. People say, you know, dads don't do well and, you know, problems with our society. And a lot of our societal problems are from dads that don't do their best. But it, yeah, I want to show you some dads that are really giving it a pretty good shot, all right? Here's some dads and granddads that are giving it some good shots. One guy wrote, said, my son asked my dad, so his son asked his granddad where to find treasure. So granddad made a map, uh, treasures around our property, and took them out on a treasure hunt. Take a look. There about that. <laughs> That's a granddad doing the real thing. Got the kids dressed up there on the real live treasure hunt. Uh, another dad said, as a dad, give my daughter the hairstyle. Give him and throw the picture up. Give my daughter the hairstyle that makes her feel like a queen's always a win in my book. That's a good dad, learn how to make a hairstyle like that. Amen? Hannah Grace was little, and when I was home, it was always the ponytail thing. Another dad said, this may be a granddad, said she wanted pink. Go ahead and throw it up there. She wanted pink, so pink it is. <laughs> As you watch about Facebook, he got a big beard and it's pink. That's, that's being a good uh, dad. Here's a dad teaching his daughter how to drive. You got the safety vest on, the helmet. You can't see on the bottom there but uh, very well, but above 60 miles an hour, it just says no. <laughs> you can't go further than that. Uh, Stop the next picture. This guy kept his hand uh, right there in this position for more than 45 minutes so that his daughter could catch a nap on the airplane. This guy's daughter wanted to be Little Mermaid. Put the picture up so he didn't have any other choice, he said. <laughs> That's going all out being a dad. Somebody say amen. So one guy said, having a daughter means you have to encourage her interests and step out of your comfort zone, not only to make her a better person, throw it up there, but to make yourself better as well. <laughs> That's being a good dad. Two more, two more. Uh, one guy said that um, um, his daughter uh, had split uh, custody, and he was afraid that his daughters might be afraid to come to him at some time, and for, they might get in trouble or something. So he gave him a note. Here's the note. It says, if you're scared to tell me something, bring me this note. I won't get mad. I'll help and listen to help you find a solution. That's a good dad, right? Now, here's my favorite one, last one, favorite one before you put it up. Let me give you a little background. So in South Dallas, they, um, they had a breakfast with dads at this particular school. 
and uh, they had probably 150 kids or somewhere, elementary kids they're going to have for breakfast for dads. And they were afraid some of the dads may not show up, may not be able to show up, and they don't want to show up. And so did a Facebook post asking for dads to show up for those kids that did not have dads. They were hoping for 50. All right, put the picture up. They got 600. How about that? And I mean, if you look at that picture, the picture is just awesome. You got brown, black, white dads. You got dads in suits. You got dads in pullovers. You got dads in military outfits. I mean, that is really cool. That's dads showing up, right? Giving it their best. Well, I love seeing dads, love seeing moms give it their best. What about for Jesus? Are we willing to show up and really give our best for Jesus? Because here's the thing, Satan's going to make some agreements with you, and uh, God's going to tell you some things. Uh, Were we willing to go from the heart? Because if we're willing to give Jesus our best, sometimes it might mean that we're embarrassed a little bit. Sometimes it might mean, and it will mean, that you're uncomfortable, that you don't, uh, we don't feel like we know enough to do that, we aren't used to it. But it will mean if we say, and I don't just mean us working for Jesus, I mean us surrendering to Jesus. Let him live in his life through us. It means that Jesus will be pleased when we surrender our all to him. But how many of you know that Satan's going to do his best to give you a different agreement, isn't he? Satan's going to try to talk you out of it. Satan's going to say things like this. I'll just do enough to get by, right? Just do enough to get by. Don't be silly. Don't embarrass yourself. Don't let this religion thing get in the way of your best life. How many of you know Jesus is going to be your best life, right? Satan's going to say something like, don't go overboard. And so we've got to make a decision. Which way do we go? Are we going to listen to Satan? Just kind of do enough to get by. Just kind of don't never get embarrassed. Don't be silly. Don't embarrass yourself kind of thing. Or are we going to make an agreement with God and say, Jesus is absolutely worth everything I have? Hey, aren't you glad that Jesus didn't do just enough to get by for you? Aren't you glad Jesus didn't do just enough uh, to kind of sneak? Aren't you glad Jesus wasn't afraid of what people would think of him? You know, being crucified on a cross, people don't think good things about you. And they don't say good things about you. Aren't you glad Jesus was willing to be embarrassed for you? Everybody say, for me. Aren't you willing Jesus was, wasn't willing for your eternal destiny to get in the way of his best life? And aren't you glad that Jesus is willing to go overboard for us? So here's the agreement today. Here's the agreement I'm going to ask you, encourage you, try to encourage you to make. Jesus is worth giving him our what? Everybody say it again. All right. Say it one more time like you mean it. Jesus is worth giving him our all. Look at what the verse says, Colossians chapter 3, whatever you do, work at it with how much of your heart? With all your heart as working for the Lord, not for a human master, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you you are serving. So whatever we do, guys, here's the thing, whatever I do, I will do it with my whole heart for Jesus. That's the agreement God wants you to make. That's a life-changing agreement. It really, really is. If you look at your life and say, whatever I do, I'm going to do it with all my heart as to the Lord. So I'm going to talk about three things this morning to encourage us that direction. First of all, I'm going to say that this gives us an excellent motive for our lives. Secondly, I'm going to say it gives us an extraordinary meaning for our life. And last of all, I'm going to look at an everyday mission, an everyday mission for our life. So first of all, 
It's an excellent motive. Why you do the things you do. Your motive is the reason why you do things. Some people do things for money. Some people do things because they want other people to think a certain way about them. Some people do things because they want a certain reputation. Uh, other people do things because uh, they want to be liked. They want to be admired. But what about the motive of saying, I want Jesus to be pleased. I want Jesus to be honored. You see, a lot of people go to work to pay their bills, right? Hang out with your friends because you want to have a good time. Nice to your spouse so they'll be nice to you. And, and those things aren't necessarily bad, but what if there's something better and bigger and deeper? What if I go to work not just to pay my bills but to glorify God? What if I hang out with my friends not just to have a good time but to please Jesus? What if I treat my spouse well because Jesus wants me to treat them well regardless of how they treat me? Do you see how this motive is a life-changing motive if we take it seriously? It should be the big motive of your entire life. Look at Colossians 3 again. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. Why? As working for the Lord. Paul says whatever you're doing, do it all for the Lord. He says, and even in the worst of situations, even in the humdrum situations, in good, bad, it doesn't matter. Work as unto the Lord. And the particular he's writing here about is in one of the worst situations. Because he's writing in this particular verse, he is addressing slaves. And that's about as bad as it gets, right? And so he says, even those of you who are slaves, work as unto the Lord, now, we're grateful today that Scripture gives us the principles, the eradic eradicated slavery in some places, and hopefully will continue to eradicate slavery today. Principles like love your neighbors yourself, right? Principles like there's neither male or female uh, or slave or free in Christ. And so we're grateful for guys like William Wilberforce. We will force, but because of his love for Jesus, because of his motive of pleasing God, when he got before God and said, God, what is the purpose of my life? I want to please you. What's the purpose of my life? Back in England, when slavery was still a thing, William Wilberforce felt like God told him, your life in pleasing me, two things, the eradication of slave trade and the reformation of morality. And Wilberforce did that. It was not popular. There was assassination threats against him. There was tirades against him. There was always, always, man, hard, hard, hard. What kept him at it? What kept him at it when so many of his peers was against him? It was the motivation to please Jesus. His Christian faith motivated him to stay at it. And praise God, three days before he died, England passed a law emancipating all their slaves three days before he passed away. So the motivation is a faith in Christ. I want to please God. That's the motive of my life. Paul is saying here, even in the worst of situations, even if it's not great, you can still choose to please God. And it might even show up better when you're in a hard situation. You see, Satan would say, don't give your best here. Your boss doesn't deserve it. Your parents don't deserve it. Your spouse doesn't deserve it. Look at it. Your spouse has had a horrible week. They've been mean to you. They've been, they haven't been kind. They haven't been thoughtful. They don't deserve it. Your friends don't deserve it. Your church can get by without you giving your best. Can you, can you hear how that sounds like it's from the pit? Satan trying to get you up, trying to lure you away, saying, don't give it your best. They don't deserve it. It's not about them deserving it. It's about Christ deserving it. 
It's working as unto the Lord. He is the one that's the motive behind it. So, yeah, maybe your boss doesn't deserve it. Maybe your company doesn't deserve it. Maybe he's like, well, I'm just going to kind of do this thing halfway and steal from a company. After all, I work for Walmart. They got way more money than me. What's wrong with me taking a little something once in a while? Because it's like stealing from Jesus. It's working as unto the Lord. But we might say, but no, 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 I'm not going to do it because I'm motivated for Jesus. Let me ask you a question. Are we truly motivated in whatever we do by the love of Christ? Are you motivated by the love of Christ to share Jesus with that friend that intimidates you a little bit? I'm going to ask you this. Would you do it for $5,000? Would you, are you willing to serve God through his church because God's put a call on you? Because you feel like there's a need there and you can feel that need. Would you do it for $5,000? Would you be faithful to Sunday school because you believe God wants you to do it? Or would you do it for $5,000? You see, it's one thing to say, yeah, I'm going to do my best for the Lord. It's something else to say, well, I'm not really willing to do that. $5,000, I'd do it. Are you willing to say, Jesus, I want to be motivated by your love for me? Brother Lawrence was a, was a monk way back in the 1600s. And uh, he, he, was not a, he wasn't a teacher or anything. He basically worked in the kitchen, those kind of things. But he wrote some letters. And after his death, they collected those and put them in a book called The Practice of the Presence of God. And that book's still around. You can buy that book today. He's lived in the 1600s. He never wrote, wrote anything. And this is what he said. It is not the greatness of the work which matters to God, but the love with which it is done. The love for Jesus. I was listening to Andy Stanley a couple of weeks ago. And Andy Stanley's dad was Dr. Charles Stanley. Dr. Charles Stanley passed away a few uh, months ago. But Andy said growing up, he always had that awareness that he was Charles Stanley's son. <laughs> he said, you know, he said, now... You know, he said, Dad never put any pressure on us. In fact, Dad bent over backwards not to put any pressure on us about being his son. But, I mean, think about it. If your dad is the most popular preacher in Atlanta, Georgia, <laughs> your dad's the most well-known preacher in the state of Georgia, your dad's one of the best-known pastors in the United States, your dad's, you grow up with your dad being one of the most popular pastors on radio and TV across the world, as Andy said, it comes with a little prepackaged accountability, <laughs> <laughs> you know, he said whenever people introduce him, they, this is Andy Stanley. So a lot of times they shake his hand and they would say, Dr. Charles Stanley's son. And they put that other hand, good to meet you. <laughs> and he said, you know, I knew my dad was a bigger deal than me. And he said, my dad been over backwards not to put any pressure. He said, I, I never, never bothered me. He said, it came with a lot of perks. He said, it never bothered me. My dad been over backwards not to put any pressure on me or my sister uh, to do anything or act a certain way or things like that because, that because he was the pastor. But he said, I knew that I needed to live in a way that honored my dad. And he said, uh, when Andy got into his later years and just, you know, the last 10 years or so, uh, Andy's church, Andy went to start a pastor in church. His church actually uh, is larger than his dad's church was. And because of that, sometimes he and his dad would be out eating, eating supper or lunch or something together. And sometimes people come by that knew Andy and didn't know his dad. <laughs> and so they'd come by and say, hey, uh, hey, Andy, so good to meet you. I'm, you know, I hear you on radio or go to your church. It's so good. And Andy said, this is my dad, uh, Dr. Charles Stanley. And they're like, hey, how you doing? And they go back to Andy. <laughs> and when they walk away, Andy said, I look at my dad. And I say, now, you, I'm important. You need to behave. <laughs> 
He said, I have a reputation to maintain, Dad. You better behave. Hey, Jesus, how many of you know, is a lot bigger deal than any of us. And we need to give all of our heart to see that he is honored. I read a story this last week about a lady named Rose Zhang. Rose is about 20 years old. She's a collegiate golfer. And she played her first professional golf tournament a couple of weeks ago. She's 20 years old. And she won. She won her first professional golf tournament. And she's a good golfer. She was, uh, she'd won the NCAA, NCAA championship two years in a row as a, as a collegiate golfer, so she was good. But when she was interviewed, she said, you know, I, I didn't have any idea. He said, I, she said, I didn't think I'd make the cut, much less win. She said, I'm just happy to, happy to be here. And she said, when I went to college, I did not want my identity to be an athlete or a golfer. She said, I wanted my identity to be a child of God. And this is what she said. This is the thing that really caught me. She said, being a golfer allows me to go out there and realize that I'm just a vessel. I'm just a vessel trying to do her own thing, and I'm doing it for the glory of God. God's given me a platform. God's given me the ability to, to, to influence some people. And she said, whether I golf well or not, it's not the most important thing. The most important thing is that God gets glorified. Can you say amen to that? Amen. Extraordinary. First of all, it's a, it's a great motive. Secondly, it's an extraordinary meaning. Look at this. Not only do we have an excellent motive, but we have extraordinary meaning. This gives extraordinary meaning to everything you do. Some people do what they do, as I said, for money, recognition, fame, to be liked, to be admired, something like that. But what happens if you don't get that? What happens if you don't get admired? What happens if you don't achieve what you wanted to achieve? Because you see, things are going to change. You're going to graduate school. Sometimes you don't get the job you wanted. Sometimes the marriage doesn't turn out the way you thought it would. Sometimes you retire. Sometimes you move. Sometimes your friends move. Things are going to change. And the things that you once found meaning in, you may not find meaning in anymore. That's why living for Christ is such a great idea. Why? You can always have extraordinary meaning regardless of where you're at or what you're doing. Why? You're doing it as unto him. You're doing it as unto Christ. You are hardwired to find meaning in your life. You're hardwired to find purpose in your life. So look at Colossians chapter 3 again. Look at what it says. He says, whatever you do, work at it with, with all your heart. Watch. As working for the Lord. Not for human masters, not for human beings, not for impress somebody else. You're working for them. That gives meaning to your life. Listen, don't, Satan wants to tell you, oh, man, look, just make it through. Just have as much fun. You know, when things don't turn out well, you lose your meaning, your marriage goes south, the job goes south, or health goes south, what does Satan tell you? There's no real meaning in life. Just go out and get wasted. Sit around. Just have as much fun as you can. And Jesus said, no, in your worst day, Whatever you do, you can do it unto me. You're doing it for Jesus. That's what gives it so much meaning. We are wired by God to do this. Paul writes that whatever we do, we're doing it for Jesus. So I can say, Lord, I'm giving my all to you. I'm going I'm to do everything I do with all my heart, with my eyes on you, not my eyes on the people or the job or the things that are around me. Uh, I love what Brother Lawrence said. I was going to look for this one quote from Brother Lawrence, and they had a whole page of quotes. I couldn't hardly stop. <laughs> it's so good. Brother Lawrence said, it's enough for me to pick up but a straw from the ground for the love of God. 
I read a story, probably not true. I've heard this story in several different forms, so it's probably not true. We think of it as a parable of, sort, of sorts. Here was this guy. Um, he was a really good carpenter, worked for a construction business and a uh, really good carpenter. And so uh, he did excellent work all these years for this guy. And he went in and told the guy, he's like, I'm, I'm ready to retire. And so his boss said, well, tell you what, would you, do me, would you do me one favor? He said, would you build me one more house before you retire? And this guy said, yeah, I'll build you one more house. And so, as I said, really, really good carpenter. So he went out and he went to build that house and he did something he never did. He did it as cheaply as he could used inferior materials, cut every, he thought, I'm going to make some money on this house. My last one, I'm going, to make, I'm going to make as much money as I can. I'm retired. I'm going to be done. I mean, what else can they do to me? And so cut corners, cheap materials, sloppily made, shabbily made house. And so he finished it up, and I went and told the guy, he said, I'm, 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 you know, I'm done with your house, and now I'm going to retire. And the guy said, one more thing, one more thing. He said, you've been a great employee for all of these years. Here's the keys to your house that you just built for yourself. You see, if he didn't know he was building it for himself, <laughs> he would have done a lot better job, wouldn't he? If he didn't know he was building it for his son or his daughter or his granddaughter or his grandson, he would have done a lot better job. But he thought he was just building it for the boss. You see, guys, whatever you do, you're doing it for the Lord. Last of all, last of all. So there's an excellent motive. We do it to glorify God. There's extraordinary meaning. Lord Jesus, this is for you, right? And there's an everyday mission. This can happen every day, every day. Go back to our verse one more time. Just look at that first word. The first word says, everybody say it out loud, real, real loud. Whatever. Whatever. It's a great word, right? Whatever you do. Doesn't matter what it is. Do it with and for Jesus. Jesus, I'm doing this with you. I'm doing this for you. I'm doing this to please you. I'm grateful that you give me some way, somehow, something I can do for you. One more Brother Lawrence quote. Can you do one more Brother Lawrence? Believe me, count as loss each day you have not used in loving God. So the job you work at, the way you treat people, the way you parent, all these things, whatever you do, do all to the love of God. Rick Warren said it this way, Jesus measured greatness in terms of service, not status. God determines your greatness by how many people you serve, not how many people serve you. So let's think about doing this this week. Here's your weekly growth suggestion. Whatever you're doing, just to be able to say, Jesus, I'm doing this with and for you. I pray that a lot of times right before I come out and preach. One of the things I pray most of all before I come out and preach, Jesus, I'm doing this with and for you. I can't do it without you, and it's for you. No matter who else is here, and I'm glad you're here, and I do, I do want to do my best because you're given uh, an hour and a half, two, three hours of your week. I don't want to waste your time. But more than that, it's God's time. It's God's time. And Jesus hears me preach, and so I want to do it for him. But, but here's the thing. I want to parent for him and love my family for him. And whatever I do, the way I talk to people at Walmart, the way I talk to people that I disagree with, whatever it is that we do, we want to do it with and for Jesus. And so you can be able to say, Jesus, I'm doing your laundry today. <laughs> I'm cooking your meal. I'm filling up your car with gas. I'm, I'm treating your workers here at Walmart. I'm treating your workers here at the restaurant that are kind of slow. I, these are yours. So whatever I do, I'm doing it as unto you. Heard a story many, many years ago. Um, pastor told this story when I was in college. I heard this story at a Christmas conference. 
and he said that he knew this guy, and this guy was um, real quiet, unassuming, humble kind of a guy, but he, was, but he loved Jesus, loved God. And he had a, he was, he, he was a Coke delivery, uh, not drugs, but Coca-Cola. <laughs> Make that clear. <laughs> That's one thing you probably can't do for Jesus. Okay? <laughs> Put a little disclaimer on that one, okay? So anyway, he was a Coca-Cola uh, delivery person. They drove around to the stores and delivered Coca-Cola. And so he had this guy riding with him. He was training to do the job. And so they'd been out there about two weeks or so. And um, they were pulling the, um, this is when the Cokes were in bottles. And uh, they were pulling a rack of Cokes out of the back of the uh, truck. And somehow it slipped. And they fell on the ground. And Coke bottles just burst everywhere. And this guy, this Christian guy, he started cleaning it up. And the guy was really training with him. He said, hold on just a second here. He said, I've been with you two weeks. I hadn't seen you lose your temper. <laughs> I hadn't heard you say an ugly word. I hadn't seen you get upset. This takes the cake right here. <laughs> I, I can't believe you're not throwing a fit or kicking or saying something ugly or whatever. He's like, he said, what is the deal with you anyway? And he said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And went back to cleaning up the coke. And two days later led his trainee to Christ. Why? Because he did the ordinary, disappointing, hard things as to Jesus. Would you stand please with heads bowed and eyes closed? Through heads bowed and eyes closed, no one looking around this morning as we get ready to pray. Uh, Lisa comes to the piano. She's going to play something softly for us this morning. Look at your heart today. How many of the things during each day do you truly do with and for Jesus? It's so easy, isn't it, just to slip into, well, I've got to go to work, got to pay my bills. Well, these people are slow. I, you know, these bosses being ugly to me. And it's really, really, really easy to forget everything we do, we can do it for him. Everything we do, we can have the motive to say, Jesus, I want to please you right here. What, what about if you, every day when you drove to work this week, you said, Jesus, I really do want to please you today. What if every day this week when your toddlers wake up, you say, Jesus... <laughs>